Hemlock Knots. Cracking the restoration's toughest subjects through rational, balanced analysis of source material. Okay, how about we talk about DNC section 132? You mentioned that just a little bit, how it came forth uh, quite a bit after the fact. Um, so what have you, what have you researched about that? I mean, most people need to real, I mean, it's said to have been dictated or copied on the 12th of uh, July, 1843, right? Joseph Smith paper shows that, uh, you know, William Clayton in the presence of Hiram Smith and, and Joseph, there was a revelation given on that day. But in that entry, you'll see that there's nothing listed after that entry. There's a giant gap on the page. Um, probably where they were going to write in the stuff later about the revelation. Right. And so, um, and that's just, you know, but let me walk through the timeline real quick. And there's a few things about DNC 132. It was written in Joseph Kingsbury's handwriting, supposedly. And he was never ascribed to Joseph or anything like that. He made a copy of it. He said he got it from Newell K. Whitney. Um, William Law, he actually described a big difference in the document later on in his life. He was interviewed and he said, I was astonished to see in your book, meaning the Doctrine and Covenants from Utah, I was astonished to see in your book that the revelation was such a long document. I remember distinctly that the original given me by Hiram was much shorter. It covered no more than two or three pages of full scrap. So anyway, so William Law is saying, hey, I'm looking at this published version in the Doctrine and Covenants from the 1876 edition. And it wasn't what I remembered. It was much shorter. The original one was super short. Now the Joseph Smith papers project lists eight full pages long of, of just copied, you know, that revelation is eight pages long. So William Law saying, I, I remember two pages, that's all, you know? <laughs> um, and so we have to ask ourselves, is that the same exact thing that he's, that William Law was referring to in the 1840s that he saw supposedly, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Maybe it doesn't sound like he's too convinced that's the same thing he saw. And so um, this revelation, the saints didn't know about this revelation until it was in August 28th and 29th, 1852. They're already in Utah for about five years. And then Orson Pratt acknowledged on behalf of the church, the principle of the plurality of wives. He basically just stood up and announced the church is now accepting polygamy. Mm -hmm. there was no common consent there was no nothing involved you know legally to make that binding upon the saints they just announced that hey we're doing it the cat's out of the bag uh, brigham young put orson pratt in charge of making that announcement he stood up later and made a few remarks about that but and then at that conference is when the revelation known as dnc 132 was first read to the saints and they presented it as as having been received in 1843 yep from joseph smith and the irony is that Brigham Young is also saying that, hey, um, this basically paraphrasing, of course, this thing was in my lockbox on my desk for nine years and uh, nobody saw it except those who should have seen it. So Brigham Young is admitting that he's had this revelation for nine years. And of course, the idea is that now it's the time to, to reveal it. Now we can come out of the closet, so to speak, and talk about it openly, right? The cat's out of the bag, quote unquote. Mm um and so i don't know i mean it, it may have taken taken several years for them to to finalize some of the wording on that stuff september 1852 so the next month 
132 was published for the first time in the Deseret News, nine years after Joseph died. Um, and in 1876, about one year before Brigham Young's death, it was finally added to the Doctrine and Covenants new edition. So DNC 132 didn't exist really until 1852, as far as the saints were concerned. Hardly anybody knew about it. Um, and then it, re it also redefines some key doctrines. Number one, the new and everlasting covenant. The meaning of that is changed in DNC 132. It also redefines marriage. The old section 101, the declaration on marriage, which was accepted by common consent, that was changed in DNC 132. Um, the idea of how to gain exaltation was changed. And then also sins became justifiable and permissible in this revelation, right? Now, the Nauvoo Expositor in 1844 stated that one of the blasphemies being taught was that certain sins could be committed and allowed. And then DNC 132 talks about that, how if you don't, as long as you don't shed innocent blood, you know, or speak against the Holy Ghost, then you can do whatever you want. It won't be a sin, which is absurd if you think about it, right? Yeah. Um, it's also got a very threatening tone to it. So it's got 10 times the frequency of the phrase, I am the Lord thy God, or some variation of that. It's most revelations, God is not flexing his muscle and threatening people near as much as he does in DNC 132. You know, he is absolutely heavy handed. He's calling Emma Smith names and he's de demeaning her, the elect lady. You know, he's calling her my daughter and elect lady, other revelations. And now he's like threatening her that I will destroy you in the flesh if you don't. You know, it's just silly. Um, invitations and, and stating doctrine, it was just more threatening and which, which aligns very much with, with Brigham Young's style of writing. So there was Enid DeBarth, she's an RLDS person and that, that irks some people, but she did a word analysis on DNC 132, comparing that to Joseph Smith's handwriting yeah. and his writing styles and his prose um, and word syntax links and things like that. And so, and he also compared it to Brigham Young's or she did. And she shows that it is way, 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 way closer to Brigham Young's writing style than it ever was Joseph's. Wow. Very and and she, she breaks it down with tables, all the examples. It's very data heavy. I mean, you can go in and look at the words themselves. She's not just speculating with an opinion here. She's actually breaking down the sentences in those revelations and comparing them to other sermons and, and finding a lot of the same phraseology, right? Yeah. Wow. That's cool. So a lot um, of people think that it was Brigham Young and his cohorts that actually wrote that revelation, not Joseph Smith. Yeah. So back to that, um, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that William Clayton, I guess, had a space or some big gap in his journal. Do you think like they, whoever was behind it was planning to, what was it? July 23rd. 1843 they just plan to leave a big blank just in case they wanted to add something yeah. or july 12th i mean yeah so oh. in my in my episode on hemlock knots where we talk about the changes in church history mm -hmm. um changes in lds church history that episode about halfway through it I, I show the document that i'm talking about and there's a big giant gap they skip seven lines before they go on to the rest of the entry it's not even a new entry seven lines later it's a continuation of that same day and so that just shows that whoever wrote that in there was looking to add more detail about that revelation later on, but they never did, mm. which is bizarre, right? Yeah. So what they have written, did they just write that Joseph Smith received a revelation to this day or what did they write? 
in that um, space? I don't have it right in front of me. And let me just pull it up real quick. Give me okay. about 10 seconds and I can probably read it to you. So yeah. Um, changes in LDS church history. So let's go to, yeah, so slide number 13. So it says Wednesday, July 12th received a revelation in the, in the office. Hold on, I gotta make this bigger. It's really tiny. Um, received a revelation in the office in presence of Hiram and William Clayton. So that was actually Willard Richards handwriting. William Clayton was there supposedly, but, oh, okay. and then, and then he left seven lines blank and then he went on to finish later on. So yeah. I mean, if you're writing in your journal, the day's entries and, and all the journal entries before and after for the most part are stacked. Every line is used on this precious paper. And then you've got a big gap in the middle of one of your days. Like what was he going to draw a picture? Was he going to write later? What, you know, yeah, it's just really bizarre. It's like an ellipses. That's like half the page, you know, right. Just blank. So I don't know what he was planning on doing. I just know that the, the records that these things are based on are, are pretty dodgy. Yeah. So I, I remember a, like a story that I've heard recently um, where Joseph Smith asks Hiram to take the revelation to Emma and she throws it in the fire or something like that. You think that was just a made up story and where, and if so, like who would have, who, who said that, where does that story come from? Do you know? Uh, Brigham Young talked about it at general conference in Utah several decades later. Um, Emma Smith is actually on record of saying that that was made up out of whole cloth, that whole story. Oh really? So Emma Smith said that's a bunch of baloney. That never happened. Yeah. I think I mean, so we have, she would have remembered. <laughs> well, yeah, she was there. Brigham Young yeah. wasn't. So right. why, why are we taking Brigham Young's word over hers? You know? So, so that's the thing is you've got conflicting stories all throughout LDS history. We have to decide who's lying. They mm -hmm. can't be both telling the truth. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, do you have any, anything else on 132? Um, I, I know people cherish it and it's part of their canon and their scriptures and that's okay. You know, I don't take, take what you will from it, but just know that the history of it does have some major question marks. I'm not mm -hmm. going to tell you what to believe about it, but a few of the things out there are just fishy. And so just dig into the history, try to figure out where that thing came from. And, uh, you know, it might raise some questions for you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank it you. doesn't read like any of the other revelations where Joseph dictates it, a scribe just writes it down it gets published immediately. You know, this one's, they had to sit on it for a while. They had to change it. They had to edit it. You know, it's, it turned out to be nine pages long instead of two, two pages like William Law remembers seeing. So there's all these things. And also, also you know, um, Joseph Kingsbury, whose handwriting it was, he said that he copied the entire thing in 45 minutes with no errors. There's no editing marks and no errors, no scratches out on, on that document that he copied it from apparently. So to this day, I've been challenged, I'm going to do it one of these days and film it on YouTube, but I dare someone to sit down and write in cursive a copy of DNC 132 in less than 45 minutes. Ready, go. Let's see if you can do it. It would have to be cursive, I would think. <laughs> oh, and it has to be very, very good penmanship too. Yeah. Um, like that, that would resemble a final draft instead of a scratch piece of paper with a, a rough draft on it. Right. Yeah. I so, dare someone to do it. 45 minutes, make a copy. <laughs> Go ahead. Anyone listening can take up that challenge. Yep. Um, 
what can you tell me about this Joseph Kingsbury? Like, was why would he have this thing, or who is this guy? Exactly. Um, he was a polygamist. Okay. He loved him some polygamy. You know, he got involved. He was part of the New Order of Things, and most of these guys were that were behind, you know, these these revelations being added in 1876. They they needed to justify it. They needed to put stuff in their scripture that supported the lifestyles they were living. Um, you know, you look at all the other scriptures, Book of Mormon, New Testament, um, even the Old Testament, you'll find that the Lord never once commanded polygamy. I've got an entire list of scriptures on hemlock knots of teachings about polygamy in the scriptures. Two columns. On one column, teachings of monogamy. The other one, teachings of polygamy. And just read through them, and you'll never find one variation of God actually saying that he's commanding or he wants people to do polygamy. What you do have is a bunch of people in the Bible that did polygamy, supposedly, like Abraham or Jacob, right? And so people would use that as, see, God taught polygamy. It says right here that Jacob had four wives, right? But that's very different than the teaching actually being given by God. And if it's such an important principle for exaltation, and it's the only way to get to the special kingdom, why do you think Jesus Christ would never even mention that when he visits the Nephites, ever? He didn't even hint about it, let alone go into any detail about it. Those people were living a Zion society. The 1830 saints were not. Zion had failed. So the Nephites were actually higher ascended than the Utah saints ever were, who were cursed and smitten and driven west and, you know, pushed around by the federal government. Those people in Nephites, I mean, in, in the Nephite people in Bountiful, in the Book of Mormon, they would have qualified for a higher law far more than the Utah saints would have. So why didn't Jesus Christ teach polygamy or exaltation or eternal marriage as, as part of his teachings with the Nephites for two days? Nobody knows. It's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, share it with your people. Join the conversation on Facebook, YouTube, or hemlockknots.com where you'll find show notes and source material for these subjects and much more.